Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. So exciting, and I know he's, he's just given a powerful word. And I'm talking about baptism this morning. But here's the thing about baptism. Everything we talk about from the Word of God connects to everything. There's no isolation in the Word of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Baptism gets all of you. I can remember several years ago, um, I was baptizing folks and a lady very genuinely and lovingly and not sarcastically at all, but she said, can we do this and me not get my hair wet? And I said, I think so. And then she got really mad when it wasn't possible. Because I knew she was going to get her hair wet. Why? Because one of my, I'm not baptizing today, so nobody get nervous. But when you go down, you're going down. And I love it when people try to grab the edge of the pool. They like, they like grab the edge like for balance, and you just get a little bit more pressure. Why? Because total immersion is total. The Greek word for total is total. Now here's, here's what I mean. Whether it's the offering, whether it's your walk, whether it's Monday or Friday, God wants all of you. All of you. That's what I want to start this morning by simply asking you, how much of you does God have? How much of you does God have? Um, today's going to be a little bit different, <clears throat> but I believe powerful. Because I do, I, I want to specifically just talk about, about baptism. There's a word, mikvah, and as, as many of you know, I just got back from Israel about two weeks ago. And while there, was just mesmerized by the, just the simple fact that you, you are in places where Jesus literally walked. There's some things that Jesus did that you are you already are told it, it happened in this area, but once you start getting to Old Jerusalem and you're you're walking up the steps to the temple, you are where he walked. It's, it's overwhelming to the point where it's still taking me time, quite frankly, to process. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this word mekvah is is simply you find it throughout the Old Testament, and it's just describing something that's happening. So, for instance, and, and these scriptures aren't on the PowerPoint, Michael, but in Genesis 1.10, and he created the dry ground, and it was called earth. And he gathered together the waters, and he called them the seas. Now, that act of gathering together, that's that word, Mikvah is the, is the plural of that. And I'm not trying to impress you with Hebrew. If you're a Hebrew scholar here, you will know that I'm going to crucify a lot of this today. But here's what I've learned. Um, we have a tremendous heritage in our Jewish faith. You know, sometimes in Christian baptism, we just equate it. And, and listen, it fits in our Jewish or in our Christian baptism, when we talk about being baptized, we understand that it's talking about our identity 
and it represents on the outside what Jesus Christ has done on the inside. And we understand that in its setting, but we leave it at that. I want to I take you back to the Old Testament because John the Baptist, when John the Baptist baptized people, he was pointing people to what was going to happen. The Old Testament always points us to what God wants to do in Christ. When Paul baptizes, he's pointing people back to what Jesus did. So let, let's just look at this. Does that make sense? Let's look at this for a few minutes. And I, I'm going to hurry because this is not the kind of message I usually bring on a Sunday morning. But, but quite honestly, there's so much in me that when God starts dealing with me, even when I was in Israel, walking around the mikvahs, I knew I was going to talk about this on Baptism Sunday. But it's not a message you just hear preached all the time. So I, I hope God speaks to you. I'm praying that God speak to our men more than anybody this morning. I, I pray that God speaks to all of us, but I'm praying that God speaks to our men this morning. So what does it mean? This word mikvah, it literally is talking about a moving our living waters. When he gathered or collected the water. So there's a movement, there's life. It's not talking about just any stagnant water. As you well know in Israel, uh, there's also something called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, if I'm, uh, I believe it's about 30% stronger than the salt water in the ocean. So the Dead Sea is just nothing but salty, salty, salty water. Nothing thrives. It gets a water source from the Sea of Galilee through the Jordan River, it dumps into the Dead Sea, and has nowhere to go, so it dies. I have no interest in dead water this morning. We need living water. Okay? So when we talk about this living water, this active, it, it might be rainwater, it might be a river, it might be a lake. For us this morning, and just to make it even more confusing for you, what we call a baptismal, the Jewish culture would call this a mikvah. It's, it's something that you are going to walk in and be immersed, and when you walk out, you're clean. Okay? Now, so how did the Jews fish this? First of all, what is a mikvah? It's an ancient Jewish ritual of being immersed in water, living water, as we talked about a moment ago. When would they do this? They would, they would practice this with new converts when someone converted to Judaism because it not only presented a cleansing, but now it presented a transition in their belief, a transition in their life, a transition in everything they represent and who they are. So at conversion, this was experienced. Uh, before weddings, I love this, the women would, would experience this before their ceremony, but on the day of their wedding, now I've not seen this done, I've been to a few Jewish weddings, but this is still practiced today by many. That on the day of the ceremony, the groom, after they were married, the groom would go and experience the mikvah. Ceremonially clean. We find this also taking place after childbirth. It all leads back to purification. In the Old Testament, things had to be clean. Um, when you go back to Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, um, God is laying, God is sharing with Moses, this is how you need to handle things. This is how things need to be kept clean. 
And it's just too replete with examples of how to get things unclean. It's real easy to get unclean. Hello? If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. And, and there was a process, not just of going, it wasn't about animal sacrifice, it was about a process of you getting clean. So this isn't about being in sin. It's about cleansing. Now that's, again, it's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're going to talk about this in a few moments, is you don't have to get clean every week. And some of you seem to let that simmer for a second. Because I was raised getting clean every week. Right? I mean, my dad was a pastor, and he could preach. I felt the, the flames of hell every Sunday. Because I lived like it the week before. Right? And so I was convinced that everything he was saying, Jesus Christ could come at any moment. I got saved every Sunday just to make sure. But what we realize that through Jesus Christ, that, that's the wrong mindset. Okay? And, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But we see that, that this is a part of their life that they practiced often. As a matter of fact, in 1948, when Israel regained their ability, it's their day of independence in 1948. They began, began a state called Israel. Now what happened in the next 10 years, over 500 mikvahs were built. It's still very much a part of their culture. As a matter of fact, uh, by the year 2000, there were 1,200 more mikvahs built. Now if, just for your understanding, Israel's about the size of the state of New Jersey. So just picture the state of New Jersey and put 200 baptismals or two, almost 2,000 baptismals anywhere you want. That's a lot of baptismals. Why? Because they practiced it before every Friday before Passover or Shabbat or Sabbath or Shabbat. They practiced it before every Jewish holiday. They practiced it before weddings. If they defiled themselves or if they did something that was unclean, they would ceremonially. Now you and I, if you're a typical American, you're already thinking, that sounds like they just take a lot of baths. Well, to a great extent, can I just tell you? Um, if we're not careful, anything becomes religious. And we just take showers without understanding what it could represent for God. And we just, you know, as a matter of fact, most of you are more godly right now with the coronavirus than you've been in a long time. You're praying more. And you're purifying your hands more often. Hello? You know I'm right. And, and I even say that with the back of my mind. I have to be careful because I want to be respectful. But I've talked to too many people who have just basically said, we're being scared to death. Um, listen, we need to take it seriously. But here's, here's what the Old Testament would say. Wash your hands. Purify yourself. If you touch something dirty, go purify yourself. And if it's with antibacterial, rub till it's gone. Okay? Now, I'm not trying to be silly. As much as it is, it's easy for us to look at the history of the Jewish faith and just say, well, they were just doing a lot of washing. No, it represented something. It was pointing them to something that they could never do for themselves. It was pointing them to a cleansing that they could never take care of 
themselves. So we, we see that, that Nikva is represented by this, but I just also want to say that, say that by the year 2000, uh, mikvahs were not only continuing to be practiced, but they still do that in a major way today in many of their ceremonies. And you, you, you don't see it because it's not a public event. We do it very publicly. It's public in the sense that they purify, but the men will go to their areas, the women will go to their areas. And it may be in a closed room, it may be in a, a bathhouse where they just walk in the water, immerse, walk back out. They, they don't make a big deal out of it. They just make sure they do it. They don't turn it into a service. They just make sure they live in service. Am I making sense? So, so this was a practice that was very common. But, but where? Where throughout the Word do we see this? Because I, I really done some searching this week. You really don't find the word mikvah in the Word of God as much as just describing actions that are taken in the Word of God. Now let me just explain for a moment. We've already talked a, a bit about Genesis 1. But in Exodus chapter 7, <laughs> God told Moses to tell Aaron to lift up his staff. He was cursing the water. And he said, when you speak, the waters of the Nile will turn red. Every lake, every puddle, every pond, every pot will be turned to blood. Now, this was a curse. This was a curse to Egypt. But it was pointing toward our promise in Christ. Because, see, it's, it's not just the water that cleanses you and I. This is very much symbolic. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you and I. And we also see this in Leviticus chapter 11. He, he kept naming the areas that would be unclean, and he, he started talking about utensils being used. And he said, listen, if animals or a dead animal touches any utensil, a, a, a pot, a dish, a, a small area that you cook with, destroy it. It is unclean. But if an animal, specifically a bird possibly, were to fall into a pot that is filled with water used from a kiv, he said, that's where you can just rest assured that pot is still clean. Now, why is that? Who would want to use that water? Well, it's not water to drink. It's water that would just be used to constantly be pouring into something that you would constantly be purifying yourself in. Now, why does he say that pot would still be clean? It, it's sort of a pointing to understanding who we are in Christ Jesus and baptism today. I, I just want to make clear, baptizing you today does not make you saved. It's a sign of who you are in Christ Jesus. But it's helping us understand that even the Old Testament points forward and says, listen, when you are, a new, when you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. When you come out of this water today, it doesn't mean, well, good luck. Hope you can live this out. No, he's saying any, even in this world that we are in but not of, even in this world that's going to throw stuff at you all the time, even in this world that's going to mess with you, that's going to test you, you can look back and rest assured, when I'm in him and he is in me, no weapon formed against me can prosper. 
I, I, I've been attacked all week, or this has happened, or I fail and I messed up, but you didn't stop being his child. You're still clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. He talks about, in the New Testament, being saved by Jesus. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Whoever has been born of God cannot sin. Why? Because what keeps you from sin isn't you. God cannot sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. God sees you through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I love it. We're going to read this passage in just a moment. But when Jesus came out of the water, when John the Baptist baptized him, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. It's going to help you celebrate for them in a few moments. When they come out of the water, I don't know that we'll hear an audible voice, but here's what's God saying. That is my son. That is my daughter. Why? Because they don't see, he doesn't see your righteousness. He doesn't see your mess-ups. He sees Jesus Christ. He sees his righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, so even today, what it represents is a powerful reminder. I, I want this to sink in. Here's why this is so powerful to me. We don't talk about baptism enough. It's just a thing that we try to push people into doing. Literally. Like get them up on the steps and just keep pushing. And we blame it on things like, well, the American culture, you know, we're so proud. You know, men don't want to get their clothes wet. Women don't want to get their hair wet and mara, you know, mascara and all that. Hogwash. It's not taught. If you knew who we were in Jesus Christ, you'd all be in that pool today. <laughs> a Jewish rabbi. This is not a joke, by the way. Sometimes a preacher and a Jewish rabbi were walking down the street one day. No. <laughs> a Jewish rabbi was being interviewed with Messianic Jews and other pastors here in America discussing the topic of evangelism. And the rabbi says, well, we're not really worried about it. The Messianic Jews are the Christians influencing the Jewish faith. And they said, well, how can you even say that? He said, well, number one, you don't talk about baptism enough. If you talked about baptism and what it really meant, you'd probably be able to point a lot more people to Jesus. But because you just make it a part of you just make it a part of maybe being identified with Jesus. You've got tons of Christians walking around with a name tag, but no identification. Now, let me just put that in perspective. When we were in Israel, when you check into the country, they give you a little sticker that says, he's allowed to be here. You better not lose that little sticker. You've only got one. Now, I had a badge with the group I was with. So I was with Christians United for Israel. But if I were to get stopped and hold up my badge, they would say, who cares? Where's your identification? Hello? I wonder how many of us walk around with a Christian badge but no identification. See, being baptized is identifying with what God has done in you, but then people can see it in you. 
And this was practice. It was a common practice in, in the Old Testament. And even we're talking about when, the, when Jesus was walking the earth, this was practice. John says it again. You, God sees you through who Jesus Christ is. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Since 2011, now, since 1948, well over 2,000 brand new mikvahs have been built. But here's what I love. Since 2011, 850 mikvahs have been discovered through archaeology. That means that the more they keep digging up parts of Jerusalem, and believe me, it's just one large archaeological site. They keep finding new places. As a matter of fact, just a few years ago, <clears throat> in I believe 19 or 2003, I believe, um, under one of the neighborhoods, Palestinian neighborhoods, a pipe burst, sewer line burst. So they sent in, sent in the crews to get that line fixed. And while they were fixing that line, they just had to dig down a little bit deeper around that line. And the more they began to discover what was there, they they saw beautiful steps that as they dug the dirt away, there were steps laying there. And over the years, what they've been able to do is literally uncover, and they've got it almost all ready for complete public occupation because some of it's already open to the public. They walked us through several areas that were not open to the public because what they have unearthed are the steps that lead from the Pool of Siloam to the south gate of the temple. This is exactly the gate that the pilgrims would walk up. When we talk about the Psalms of Ascent, this is where they would sing those Psalms of Ascent. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. They would sing, and as they were walking up these steps to approach the temple, there, there were literally McAves everywhere. When you get to the south steps of the temple, you can look out and see them. And I, I know several of you have been there. Dr. Bucci was there last year, and several of you have visited there. When you stand on the south steps of the temple, you can literally see a, a myriad of, of these places for bathing and, and for ritual cleansing all over the place. Now, I say that, and we've got, this is the south steps of the temple, and they, they've had it closed off for years. I'm not going to bore you with history, but the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., Several times it's been taken in and, and rebuilt. So year after year, century after century, it's been overlaid and overlaid. That's why every year they find something new when they dig a little deeper. The catchphrase in Israel when we were there two weeks ago is, it's no longer faith, it's fact. Because every time they dig something up, it's like, wow, that really did happen. You know, it was, it was less than 100 years ago they were saying, well, King David really wasn't a big, big deal, and it, we don't even think he really was until they found his city. And so for the last hundred years, they've, they've kept unearthing parts of the city of David, which is sitting below the Temple Mount. Now, I say that because, go to the next slide. I just want you to see, the, this is a much larger setting, but you see those steps going down? The steps to the side have been dilapidated, but this is where if the men and women are separated, and they would need to be separated because you would strip down naked. Don't worry, guys, we're not. We, we put a curb on. You've got to stop some things. 
but they would separate the men and the women. And it wasn't about being at a spa, guys. They all knew why they were there, because they were preparing for worship. Not too far from these mikvahs, there were the, the stables and the places where they sold sacrifices. They would buy their sacrifices, go here, walk down, strip down, walk in the pool, dip themselves, and walk right back up the other side. And that, that way multitudes could come in and just have a line. Drive through baptism. Now here's, here's a cool little second, just side note. <clears throat> On the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached to the thousands and thousands that were present, it was probably on the south step on the southern part of the kingdom of the temple. And the Bible tells us that that day, 3,000 were baptized. Men, plus women and children. Can I ask you, nobody's ever thought about this. I had never thought about this. Where do you baptize 3,000 plus? Especially when they're Jews who understand what ritual cleansing is about. But now... That cleansing, that's, that's not for me anymore. I want the one in the name of Jesus. They go to the mikvahs. They just begin walking in because they understand. Now, does that make sense? Go to the next slide. Have we even gone to another slide? That, that's a very small one. But you can see there are steps there for people to walk down and walk right back out. And, and they find themselves just going in they don't swim. It's not a hot tub. None of these have drains. Why? Because they're literally emptied out by hand so you can keep water, living water, refreshing it. So it's not about stagnant water. It's about constantly working to keep things clean, keep things fresh. There's so many applications here, guys. I don't have time this morning. But it, it takes a little bit of work sometimes when you're following Jesus. Not because you make yourself clean, but sometimes you have to just get up and do what you need to do to follow Jesus. You know, I love it because I never have a hard time praying. Come on. Really? You never have a hard time praying? See, that's what I can't stand about some preachers. They make you feel like they got it all. Pray 23 hours a day. Read the Bible the other seven hours. Can't count either. That's why everything's so evangelical. I mean, you, you can, you know, as long as things look good, we're running thousands. Now, I say that, guys, please. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but Here's what discipleship is, discipline. If I'm going to read the Word, I've got to get up and read the Word. If I follow Jesus, I, believe me, I've prayed many times, Lord, please just grab me by the back of the neck and make me be good. Never work. What, what I have discovered is while I'm walking things out and then I have a choice, He just reminds me. I've already experienced everything you're going to experience, man. When you get there, I'll provide a way out. You've just got to be willing to take it. Will you take the way out when I show you? Will you listen to my voice when I speak to you? Now, I know I'm on a rabbit trail. 
will you listen? Because see, the, the reality is, when we find ourselves in situations like these Jews did, they made a point, whether it was Passover, whether it was a celebration, whether they were going to worship, they, they didn't even, it didn't cross their minds to not experience the midpoint. They knew it was necessary. What, what else? Who, who had a midpoint? Who had experienced this? Well, again, it was on the southern steps of the temple. But, but one person for sure practices Jesus. Now, we don't read a whole lot about Jesus except with John the Baptist. But, but I'm telling you right now, Jesus just didn't get baptized once and says, okay, I'm here to prove a point. So I'm going to walk by all the mikvahs going up to the temple. No. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. As he was traveling, he, he went through plenty of purifications like anyone else. Why? He, he wasn't trying to live on both sides of the fence. He wasn't trying to pretend he was Jewish. Listen, he was thoroughly Jewish. We have been grafted in, guys. We have been grafted in. But the Bible tells us that when John the Baptist, and in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. John tried to prevent him. And, and I can't stay here too long, but listen, here's why John tried to prevent him. John knew what he was there for. He was there to point people to Jesus. So when Jesus comes to be baptized by John, John says, wait a minute. Let's don't get this backwards. I'm here for you. So now that you're here, please baptize me. But here's what Jesus says, powerful. He says, I need to baptize you. And you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, permit it to be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, now what does that mean? Fulfill all righteousness. I said it a moment ago, but when you are in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. When, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the old man is gone. And you are seen in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says that, that we've got to fulfill all righteousness, what Jesus was saying is, it's through me being honest and obedient in what I do and fulfill this and go to the cross and give my life, death, burial, and resurrection that now everyone can experience righteousness. All can experience being right with God. So what does that say for us? Matthew 8, I love this. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, you know the story about Jesus healing the leper. When he had come down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you, are, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Powerful message here. Jesus, before the man was clean, was willing to go where no one else would go. Jesus put his hand out and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but, but go your way. Now listen, Jesus is telling him to do a very Old Testament practice. Go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer, listen, 
offer the gift that Moses commanded. Now, what does that mean? I believe it's in Leviticus, Numbers 14. In Numbers 14. God told Moses, and the command of Moses was, if there's anyone dealing with leprosy, here's the process. Got to stay outside. He cannot have community. He cannot be a part of the family. Can't be a part of the group. Has to be ostracized, unclean. It makes perfectly good sense, right? I mean, if, you, if they even think you've got the coronavirus, you're somewhere for 40 days by yourself. Hello? You know, that's what quarantine means, don't you? 40. 40 days. You're quarantined. And the only way, in the, even in the Old Testament, if your leprosy was healed, if you were cleansed and you were healed, then the priest would come see if you were healed, not to see if you had faith to be healed. He was just there to see if you were healed. And if you were clean, then they would set up this purification process. Now, what is a purification process? Look at it. How did that look? They would take two birds, two small birds, a cedar bowl, and, and hyssop. And hyssop would be what you would take, and whatever would be in the bowl in a few moments would be sprinkled on. And so they would take this bird, these two birds, bring them together, and the bowl over water, they would kill one bird, put its blood in the bowl, and then overflowing water, dip this bird, the live bird, in the bowl, and then set it free. And then take hyssop and then sprinkle it on the leper, symbolically saying, you're cleansed. Now, tons of application here, but just listen. When Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beg you, by the mercies of God, surrender. Offer your lives as living sacrifices unto God. Why? Because Jesus came and you were headed to a cross. You were headed to what you were due. And Jesus met you there and he took your place. And through his blood, you're free. Through his blood, you're free. No more past. No more, no, no more birds flying around reminding you of how bad you are. There's going to be plenty of good friends like that, right? That's why you've got to be able to look back at something, guys. That's why we celebrate communion when we do. That's why we have the ordinances that we do. Not because baptism makes you saved. It's that you're able to look back at something and remind yourself, praise God, I don't care what they say about me. I'm clean. I don't care what the world has to say. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. Why? Because when I was headed toward a bad place, Jesus met me. And Jesus paid the price. Water is so symbolic. I often find, even in myself, the, the times, and someone says, well, Pastor, why, why are people wanting to be baptized again? What's up with that? I mean, is that even biblical? Well, here's, here's what I want you to look at it this way. If I somehow could take all of you to Israel... And don't get me wrong, but somehow I do. I just don't know who's going to pay for it yet. 
I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I promise you, if we get around the Jordan River, now they didn't have that on our schedule this time, but I'm going back. Uh, they didn't have that on our schedule this time. We went to the Dead Sea, but I don't want Dead Sea. I want living water. So I, I, but my point is, we get to the Jordan River, and Josh, I don't know if you did this or not, but did you get baptized? No. Have you ever been baptized? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Today's the day, brother. <clears throat> no, I know Josh has been there awesome. But, but there's so many people, they've been baptized, there's ministers that you, you can name it off. They just get in line. Why? Because there's something about being baptized where Jesus was baptized. In the same water. Now I say that, it's not about getting saved again. Personally, I have no problem people wanting to get baptized again. Why? Well, it's a re-identification. Sometimes you just hit a place in your life, a, a month in your life, a year in your life, and just it, your life gets turned upside down. And, and quite honestly, I know this is nobody here, but we all know somebody like this. They just don't live for Jesus. They run. Their life is covered in so much crap, they can't see straight, and you don't even want to look at them. And it's when that person comes back to their senses. It, it, to me, it's not a bad thing at all for them to want to publicly say, I just want to remind everybody that it's really about Jesus, not me. Sometimes you go through a rough patch and you've been beaten up by life and it's just good to remember. Sometimes, in, in a lot of cases, is, is what we experience here, is people move here. And they've, they've, they've been baptized years ago somewhere else, but this is their new family. And it's very important when you get with a new family that you identify them and you're able to be identified. And baptism is a powerful way of saying, new family, I'm in. Now, I'm not pushing for any of this. But when you understand who we are in Christ Jesus and the history behind baptism, and you're more Jewish than you thought, what are the differences in mikveh and baptism? Well, first of all, uh, McVeigh, Old Testament, and it pointed to what was supposed to happen. It points to a coming Messiah. Baptism, Christian baptism, points back to the fact that we have a Messiah. Through death, burial, and resurrection, we've experienced His power in our lives, afresh and anew. McVeigh, um, has a tendency to need to be repeated a lot. Every Friday, if you're practicing Sabbath. Um, if there's some, there's some parts of the culture, and I'm not talking about just bathing, but the, the ritual except they practice it every day as a holiness under God. So it's something that has to be continually practiced. But the beautiful thing about baptism in the Christian church you only need Jesus one time. You only need to come to Jesus. It's not about getting saved every Sunday. I love what the Word of God says <clears throat> in, in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You didn't know New King James was so Southern. 
here's what happens. Um, whether it's a new lake location, a new reaffirmation or recommitment. Baptizing helps all of us understand he who began a good work in me will complete it. God's up to something in my life and I don't want to fail. I'm going to ask Pastor Nick and those that are being baptized would be dismissed and changed. So why? Why do we do this? A couple of reasons very quickly and Emily, if you'll please come. First of all, Jesus commanded it. And listen, Jesus, Jesus said, do it. All right, now what does that mean? Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that why? Here's why on the day of Pentecost, when, when all the Jews heard in their own tongue, God being glorified, they responded. Because they had been taught Old Testament their whole life. They didn't stumble upon something something so brand new. They were like, wow, what is, what is this? We can even see through the book of Acts that there were many times before we started moving to the Gentile church, where many times people would ask questions like, we, we were baptized in John's baptism. What does that mean? They were baptized and understood what it, what it was to look to towards something, for something. But but Peter and others would say, okay, no, 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 no. He's here. You don't have to look for. You can look back and experience. Point being, Christian baptism is a powerful force in our lives that, that's a one-time event. Maybe you repeat it. It doesn't mean you weren't saved. My wife and I talked about this again this morning. We've been talking about it the last couple of years because we've been married 39 years this summer. And so we're thinking, well, let's, let's do a renewing of our vows. I still haven't got her to say yes yet. But there's a chance, okay? You guys will pray. Um, so what's a renewing of our vows? We're going we're gonna to get married again. But it doesn't mean we're not married now. It doesn't mean like, whoa, so you mean for 40 years? No. We're married. Diane says it's been seven of the most wonderful years of her life. <laughs> now, I'm saying that why? Because if, if someone were to get rebaptized, nobody's saying, must not have stuck the first time. Hmm, wonder what they've been doing. No, there's something about renewing a vow. There's something about really being able to say, yes, God, you do have all of me. Yes, God, you've got all of me. Can I ask you a question before we pray? What barriers are stopping you from giving him all of you? What's standing in the way? Most of the time when you ask people that question, they already know the answer. That's why I typically don't go through a lot of lists. What's stopping you? 
I've often said this, and Pastor Corey, if you'll come on up, he's going to sing for us in this moment. Lead us in song. I've often used the expression, what can you do to a dead man? What can you do to a dead man? Here's, here's my concern. Sometimes we want to die to sell, but, but keep one hand on the edge of the pool. We want to die to self, but, but keep one hand. I'm going to let them hurry up and get in place. So. We want to be baptized, if you will. We want to surrender our life, but then keep one hand on the edge. What, what's stopping you from saying, God, here I am? I want to pray with you. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not really, I'm not ready for this. I prayed before and then I just mess up again on Monday. No, that just means you're human. That just means you just need to hang out with people who don't mess up as much as you do. And we just keep working together. Right? We got men that meet at my house tonight at six o'clock. Sometimes the greatest thing we got going is pizza. But then there's those glimmers and those moments where God shows up. And you realize that as messed up as we are, God's in control. See, it's walking with people. Don't, don't let that be a barrier. Pastor, I've tried this before. I've moved in this direction before. And the devil just keeps beating me up. It's just easier to stay where I am than to move forward. Don't believe that lie. You've allowed that perception to become your reality. Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, as we move into this wonderful time of, of watching these individuals share their testimony, preach their message of what you've done in their life, I pray that you touch us right now. Lord, your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And we once again just ask the question, have we really given everything to you Lord, you're not condemning us. You're not pushing us away. You just want to see us in your son's righteousness. So, Lord, we bring ourselves to you. God, I just pray that we receive you today. Help us to start where we are. That's where you meet us. But, Lord, as even as we leave this place in a few moments, we celebrate with those being baptized. And God, I just pray that you begin to move in our hearts in a special way to allow you, Father, to begin to call the shots. It's your kingdom. And we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Corey's going to lead us in a song while the others are preparing for baptism, and then we're going to celebrate. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.